from the front lines of the green rush. This is Green Entrepreneur, where business owners talk about how they found success in cannabis and how you can too. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. My name is John Small, and I am the editor-in-chief of Green Entrepreneur. And you know, more than 55 million people live with dementia worldwide, and there are nearly 10 million new cases every year. But there are promising new developments in psychedelic medicine to help treat this debilitating symptom. And my guest is Dr. James Koo, who is a physician and a biotech executive with more than 25 years of drug development experience. And Dr. Koo is also the co-founder of Return Health, which is the first biotech company developing novel, non-hallucinogenic psychedelics to alter dementia's progression. He's going to talk to us about that. Dr. Koo, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thank you very much, Jonathan. Glad to be here. So if you can, just give us a quick origin story here, a quick bio of what you do and how you got into psychedelics and a little bit before and what you're doing now. So as you mentioned, I'm a physician. I've been involved in drug development for the last uh, 25 years. And I really saw psychedelics as one of the most exciting things in my entire career. I was previously co-founder of another psychedelic company called Trip Therapeutics. I was the CEO. We took the company public last year. So I have experience in this particular field. And what particularly attracted me to dementia is really the personal element. I've had uh, family members affected by mild cognitive impairment and seen the devastation. The numbers with dementia, as you mentioned, are absolutely staggering. This is perhaps the biggest medical issue of our time. Can you explain in layman's terms what dementia is? What is it and what's happening to the brain with dementia? Dementia is a degenerative brain disorder. That's the general term. Basically, the brain stops uh, functioning. Cognitive uh, functioning is impaired. Uh, Things like memory. You can't remember how to get home when you drive to the store. You can't remember where your keys are. You can't remember to pay your credit card bills. It's really the worst disease out there in that you lose your memory of even who your family members are. So everything that constitutes what a human being is slowly erodes away progressively, okay? And then your body stops working and then you die. So what could be worse than that? Uh, No one really knows the cause of dementia. Dementia is the umbrella term. So a lot of times people talk about Alzheimer's very similarly. Alzheimer's is the main cause of dementia, but there are other causes as well. Like uh, Robin Williams had Lewy body dementia. It's a more rare type of dementia than, than Alzheimer's, but you know, that exists. Yeah. So dementia is the syndrome. It's the sort of the, it's the symptom of a, a large, of the diseases, the various diseases that you mentioned. Yeah, that's right. So now you have been working with dementia patients for many years. What introduce you to psychedelics? Because normally the traditional doctors might not be interested or might be sort of skeptical of psychedelics. So tell me about your introduction to psychedelics. I became fascinated because people I worked with, colleagues of mine, told me that this was the most outstanding thing they've seen in over 30 years. So you have to understand that there's been really no innovation in mental health for 33 years. That's the time when Prozac, you could say Prozac, the SSRIs uh, class of drugs were first launched. Since then, nothing, nothing's happened. And the drugs like Prozac are okay. They don't work in the majority of patients. They take a long time to work. Uh, They have terrible side effects like sexual dysfunction. That's the main reason why uh, people don't want to take the Prozac type uh, drugs. 
So they were a good development, but not not great. And I first became interested in this field with uh, esketamine. So it's uh, ketamine that was developed by uh, Janssen for treatment-resistant depression. Showed remarkable uh, benefits. I got everyone very interested because it ultimately got FDA approved. And then people began experimenting with uh, psychedelics as well. And psychedelics, as you know, have a fascinating history where they showed lots of promise and then the government pretty much shut it all down and researchers had to stop doing their research because they couldn't get a grant. It was basically something that would kill your career. You did that. And it's only very recently because of a grassroots effort. I think cannabis had a big big role in kind of uh, introducing people to these taboo areas of medicine. It shouldn't have been regarded that, but uh, people started saying, hey, there's a lot of benefit here. We should do some serious scientific research and uh, illustrate that. And that's pretty much what's been seen in the clinical trials conducted today. So I know we're still in the early stages of testing the effect of psychedelics on dementia, but can you tell us a little bit about what psychedelics, the promise there of, of how they might alleviate and help dementia? So we don't have the data yet. And that's the goal of Return Health is we're really developing a second generation of uh, psychedelics. The first generation have shown remarkable efficacy with treatment-resistant depression, PTSD, those type of uh, conditions. We're taking it to another level of addressing dementia. And dementia, by the way, there are no good therapies for dementia. It's really quite uh, tragic that this has been allowed to exist for that length of period. To get back to it, but why do you think it's taken? Why is it? I mean, it seems like it's such a, it affects so many millions of people. The problem is no one knows the cause of Alzheimer's, for example. You can talk to a lot of researchers and there's a lot of discussion theories, but no one truly knows the cause of Alzheimer's. It's very hard to fix a disease when you don't know the cause of it. And there've been various efforts at treatments. There have been drugs approved for it, but everyone says that they barely work, very marginal, that sort of thing. So that's been the problem. We've decided to take a different approach, which is we don't focus on what the cause is. We focus on what can make these patients better. So there's actually two parts to dementia. The first part is they experience symptoms very similar to uh, depression uh, patients. They're agitated, apathetic, anxious, uh, depressed. That's called the behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia. That's abbreviated as PTSD. And we just looked at this and felt this is absolutely perfect for what psychedelics can do because it's been shown in other clinical trials that psychedelics address these symptoms really quite effectively. And so that's our initial target. The second program we have is treating the cognitive decline. And we're, we think we can be successful there, but clearly more work needs to be done. So talk to us, talk to me about the first part. So what, what do we know so far with psychedelics and dementia? What, what, what has the research shown us? Well, we don't know much about psychedelics and dementia, and that, that's really where we're going. But what we do know is that psychedelics work to treat agitation, depression in patients. And so the symptoms that depressed patients experience and cancer patients, anyone who's had a profound life experience that is traumatizing and having dementia would certainly qualify if, if you're told that you have frontotemporal dementia and you're going to die within a abbreviated time period, that is very uh, devastating to any uh, person and their family. So they'll experience very similar symptoms as cancer patients with their depression uh, and depressed patients uh, could be the cause of that. And that, that's why we feel it's going to work. And it's going to work through a similar mechanism as uh, these other psychedelics, in particular psilocybin uh, work. 
what we're doing though is a little bit different in that we're going to target a uh, dose that doesn't create overt uh, psychedelic effects. Some people call it microdosing. It's actually a little bit more sophisticated than that. Uh, we're, we're just not overtly targeting 5-HT2A receptor, but we're not giving lower doses. Most people, when they think microdose, they just think subtherapeutic or lower dose. And that's not necessarily what we're doing. We're just targeting different serotonin receptors uh, with our drug, but we're confident we're going to have efficacy and it's going to be through a different format. It doesn't have to be a, a format where you need to be with a therapist for several hours, one where you just take a pill every single day and you get benefit from that. So that has not yet been proven. And that's what we're, what we're working on. Why does it, will it not have psychedelic, uh, psychic, psychotropic? I think that's the word. Sorry. I'm probably botching my medical terminology, but <laughs> the, basically why are you not tripping out when you take this drug? Why is that important? The paradigm has been that patients need to experience dissociative body state psychedelic effects to have efficacy. We don't think that's the case. So there is a community, and I agree it's largely anecdotal at this point, but we can do the serious scientific research to establish that that non-psychedelic doses will have effects. There are more than one serotonin receptor. There's a whole family of these receptors. And so the 5-HT2A is most clearly established with having those effects, but the other serotonin receptors, I think, are going to have a therapeutic effect without the psychedelic experience. And it is far more advantageous to have a drug that doesn't have psychedelic effects uh, because people can take it at home. They can take it every day. It would be just like Prozac, except you don't have the sexual dysfunction. Uh, you don't have the takes weeks and weeks to work and only work in a small number of uh, patients, less than 50%. Will there be the option to have the psychedelic experience if people want it? But I, I get it. You can't take a psychedelic drug every day that makes you have disassociative uh, uh, effect. Well, that's going to be the horse race. I think, you know, that first generation companies are the ones that one or two doses have a therapist there. We think our format is superior and will be just as efficacious, if not more so, but clearly there needs to be side-by-side -side, uh, comparisons of the therapeutic effect. Again, we're not just targeting the 5-HC2A, we're targeting serotonin pharmacology. So all the different receptors, a more holistic approach, entirely uh, science-driven and that usually leads to the best outcome, but we need to prove that. So, what's the time frame for this? When do you when do you hope to have a drug that you that people can take? Within a year, we expect to have a lead candidate. We actually have two different approaches to that, but we're accelerating it through a couple of things. So, a lot of people say, "Well, pharmaceutical research takes years and years, uh, low success rate." I get that, and that is generally true. The different approach we're taking is using artificial intelligence AI to do what's called in silico drug screening. Basically, we're ranking all the different psychedelic compounds. They're tryptamine, that's a chemical background. Looking at all the derivatives, ranking them for the ideal profile in terms of binding to certain serotonin receptors, not binding to others, and then picking that as our lead compound. And we're doing this almost entirely in a computer. So it can be done really very, very quickly once you program the algorithm into the computer. So it does take time to program, but screening happens essentially instantaneously. That's interesting. So you use an AI almost as like a human brain to see if it's working correctly? Yeah. The old way is you actually synthesize all the derivatives. Uh, you put it into a uh, assay and then you see what it does in those assays. Sometimes you employ robots. You usually do thousands of them. A couple of things. We're only looking at 
one set of compound structures, uh, tryptamine related. We're, it, it's there's a certain back chemical background that backbone to it. There's only certain derivatives of it. And we're going to look at all the ones that are known, even some that are unknown that can be synthesized if we want to and uh, exploring that. So it's called the pharmacophore. We're, we're only looking at a limit. We're not looking at the universe of all the different chemical structures that exist, which are obviously uh, limitless, very limited. We're using uh, computers and we're only looking certain receptors that are that we think are very important. We're actually targeting three mechanisms of action. Uh, neuroplasticity, which is the one that everyone associates with psychedelics. Uh, we think that's important. We don't think it's the only one. The second one is, is neuroinflammation. So uh, psychedelics also modulate inflammation. So when a brain is dying, it's basically inflamed and we want to decrease that as a therapeutic effect. So that's very important. So uh, certain serotonin receptors modulate that. Third one is uh, neurogenesis, which is regrowing nerve cells. And that's the one that probably is least familiar. Um, what I was taught in medical school is nerve cells don't regrow uh, past adulthood. And that's not, that's not the case. Uh, we're glad to provide articles demonstrating that that is possible. It's possible even with the Prozac type of drugs. It's just not very significant. It doesn't lead to a gain in function. And we think that we can do that with psychedelics. And there are other published papers with our collaborators showing that to be the case. So really three mechanisms of action. Uh, we think they're all relevant in dementia. We don't need to know the cause of dementia to treat it given those three uh, mechanisms. Eventually, we will look to see uh, how we can even have a more dramatic effect on dementia, but that's kind of like the third part of our research uh, program and one we haven't really focused on at all. So looking at the a holistic or, or a kind of 30,000 feet above view of psychedelics as medicine, you're obviously focusing on as medicine for dementia. Are there other opportunities you think uh, that we'll be seeing in the near future of psychedelic use for different types of disease and disorders? I think any other neurodegenerative uh, disease is, um, is really super exciting to explore. Uh, that being uh, Parkinson's would be another great example where there are no good treatments for it. Uh, dopamine, which is given, uh, is only a stopgap measure. It has adverse effects as, as well. And people still have uh, a shortened lifespan with Parkinson's and that would be a ideal one. There's a great animal model for it as well. So you don't just have to test it on humans. You can test on animals, whether your drug seems to be working that animal model. So to me, it's a final frontier. Like if we can develop a safe and effective drug, everyone's going to be on it with dementia. It's going to be, I would put out there that it, this could be the best-selling drug within the entire pharmaceutical industry, just based on numbers. We're not talking about, you know, super expensive uh, pricing for, for the drugs. I, I, in fact, I think if you make it uh, somewhat affordable, everyone will be, will be taking it and there'll be tremendous success, both as a business, for patients and stuff. Overall, it's so much cheaper to give someone a pill than put them under supervised care, let alone a hospital setting. Yeah. I like that it's a pill and not, you know, you, the ketamine. I don't even know how that works, but, you know, the fact that you have to be with a doctor, it's supervised. It's very, and it's a little, a little bit scary too, I would imagine, because you are, it is a disassociative drug and, you know, you don't know what you're, how about psychedelics though, for like, you mentioned Prozac came out 30 plus years ago. What about psychedelics? 
for treating depression and, and anxiety? I ask because I, I might know somebody who suffers from those things. So the data there is very strong and I'm talking about clinical data. So that looks to be extremely promising. What's odd is that that psychedelics appear to work on the worst patients. There, there's this whole uh, paradigm within the pharmaceutical industry. You want to target uh, patients earlier on in their disease process like cancer, because the, the feeling is if you get them late, they're going to die of something. And then it's going to be like, well, even if it wasn't caused by your drug, it's going to be, you know, your drug didn't work. And psychedelics do something really quite remarkable. And other, other of the academic researchers have said this as well, that it appears to work on the worst patients. And that's something that's just the opposite of what everyone thinks about with the drug. The people that are worst impacted by, by their post-traumatic stress disorder or depression, psychedelics seem to have the greatest effect on, dramatic effect. And that's why almost all the clinical trials have been on treatment resistant. So these are patients who have failed other therapies, multiple therapies. Nothing works on them. They're really at wit's end. Uh, a lot of times they're suicidal and they get one or two doses of a psychedelic. And in many cases, they're good for up to six months. Now, could you imagine that? Like you take one or two doses of a drug and your cholesterol is like back to normal for six months. I mean, that is just, if we thought about that for any other condition, diabetes, you know, you don't have to worry about your diabetes after one or two doses of a drug, whatever that is. I mean, really quite remarkable. And it works right away. It's not something like, well, let's give it a couple of weeks and maybe it'll work. Or it's a situation where it only works on 30% of people that are given a drug, which is the case of most drugs. They only work about 30 maybe 40% of uh, people. That's why if you have hypertension, there's a whole series of drugs that your doctor will put you on to find the one that probably you respond to the most and not others. Do you foresee challenges with the federal government, like the way cannabis is you know, not nationally legal, federally legal, and it's a schedule one drug? Do you foresee some challenges, the same type as challenges for psychedelics? Actually not. And I'll tell you the reason why is the government really messed up tremendously in the whole area of psychedelics. I, I mean, it was really very, very tragic even what took place that the government kind of waded into an area of science that the scientists were not in agreement with, and they just were very heavy handed on it. And I think the great thing about our democracy is that the government is very responsive to the will of the people. And the will of the people seem to feel that with cannabis and with psychedelics, the risks here are not nowhere near as was inflated to be. And they're therefore allowing scientific research to proceed unimpeded. And that will ultimately decide the fate of this class of drugs. And I think that will be that they are very serious, profound uh, breakthrough drugs in mental health. Again, the first major revolution in over 30 years for mental health, and it will be even bigger than the last one, which is great news for anyone with these conditions, which is a lot of people out there. Well, that's exciting. I mean, I'm hoping to see you on the cover of Entrepreneur Magazine and Time Magazine and in a few years when you when this when this drug really makes an impact on, on people's lives and takes off. It could be a huge moment for psychedelic medicine for, for all uh, plant-based medicine. What is it? Cause it says that it's a psychedelic derivative. What actual, what psychedelics are we actually talking about here for what you're working with? Yeah. The one we're most interested in is DMT. It's one of the, the several of the uh, psych psychedelics. It's a natural one. So it's in our bodies as well. And uh, it's also been used as part of concoction or tea that takes place in typically in South America. 
at the spiritual retreat, the uh, actual substance is called ayahuasca. It's also combined with another active entity. There's actually things because it's just a brew of these uh, botanicals into a not a good tasting tea, as I understand it. <laughs> yeah, it makes you throw up, apparently. Yeah. Throw up, yeah, which is not great as a as a drug characteristic, by the way, and something we're also working to engineer around through our drug screening. But we're focused mostly on DMT, just because the medical literature suggests DMT has the most uh, profound effects on neurogenesis as well as other other factors. So DMT, DMT. All right. Well, you heard it here first, and I'm really excited. Hopefully, we can check in with you in a in a few years, or maybe even in next year, to see where you're at with your research because it sounds like we're we're really at onto something here. Doctor Koot, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Thank you very much, Jonathan. Pleasure to be here. Thank you for listening to the Green Entrepreneur Podcast. To find out more about Green Entrepreneur, you can go to greenentrepreneur.com or check out our magazine on newsstands everywhere. Check out our Instagram at Green Entrepreneur. We're also on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and all other social media feeds. If you like this podcast and you'd like to hear more from me, Jonathan Small, check out my other podcast, Right About Now, that's W-R-I-T-E, to get some in-depth interviews into the lives and stories of successful writers, how they got there, what they learned, and what you need to succeed. That's rightaboutnowmedia.com. Until next episode, we'll THC you later.